This is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. One of my favorite phrases in improvisation is yes and. It's almost a way of living. Rather than looking at the world where there's a forced choice of either or, the idea of saying no matter what comes your way, yes, and then following up with and, what it does is it opens up possibility where before things were closed down, where it felt like there was a zero-sum game, now there was more added to the game. Well, my guest today is Tim Arnold, and he's one of my favorite humans. He's written a book called Lead with And, and it's profound. It's one of those set of ideas that I wish I'd known sooner when I thought that everything was narrow. He invites expansion of perspective where you can actually have your cake and eat it too. At the end of the conversation, I hope that you will find yourself in that place of optimistically looking forward to the next chance you can expand the conversation and expand what's possible as a leader. Tim Arnold, welcome to Converge. Dane, thanks for having me. This is a pleasure. We've talked about chatting for a while. So this is, uh, yeah, I'm excited that we're, we're finally chatting. Yeah, it's funny. When I think about the guests I've had the privilege to be in conversation with, it's always fun. It's a treat. But when I can have the double barrel benefit of not only someone who I know in real life, a friend, and someone who we do good work together regularly, it is a massive gift. And uh, so, I see what you've done there, Dane. I saw that. That's yeah. uh, leading with and. I like it. <laughs> and I have a third and. You're Canadian. And so am I. So like, mm, really, right. what... What can go wrong today? <laughs> we have a couple promises for our listeners out of the gate. First of all, you'll hear plenty of stories, as we say sorry about everything, because that's what Canadians do. And second, <laughs> you guys are in for a treat in this conversation. But to get things started, Tim, could you just give folks at home a little context for the winding road that got you to this moment of you publishing this particular book? Well, it's quite a winding road. I um There'd be a few, I, I think, waypoints that are worth noting. I do a lot of work, as we'll talk about, Dane, around this idea of embracing both and leadership, going beyond either or, and, and really kind of looking at the and. Well, I was definitely born, raised, and rewarded to be an either or thinker. <laughs> I remember as a not-so-great athlete, pretty much always getting picked last for teams, and I always knew that there'd be a winning or a losing team. And I had to be on that winning team because otherwise people would look to me, you know, so it's about winning all, at all costs. Well, then you probably don't know this, Dane, but by training, I'm an accountant. So I remember all the way through university being clear that if you don't get the right answer, you know, people could go to jail like this. You got to be right, you know, and then, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but in the faith tradition I was raised in, things were good and evil. Like it was a matter of heaven and hell. So you wanted to be on the right side. So here's the thing. By the time I was whatever an adult qualifies as, I, I generally saw the world through a very much either or approach. Things were good, bad, right, wrong. And I want to be super clear. All of that served me well. You know, as you know, there are lots of situations that we have in our lives that are right and wrong. And we have to use that either or approach. It's just really incomplete. And there was a long list of areas of my life where I just felt stuck and, and didn't know why and realized that this either or approach needed to be expanded with situations 
that required an and approach. Because as you probably know well, Dane, there are situations of wrong and right, but there's also situations of right and right, where there's actually truth and value on both sides. And if we pick one side and neglect the other, we lose in the long run. Everyone around us loses. So it it was a, a kind of a life-changing realization for me as a leader, as a friend in my 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 outlook on life, on faith, on everything. And uh, that resulted in a lot of years of research and writing and speaking and pretty passionate about this, this idea of leading with and. Mm, wow. And what a timely subject. It's funny, when you, as you're describing that, and I know a lot of folks think in these categories who are listening, I immediately think of improvisation, right? Yes, mm-hmm. and thinking. And I also immediately thought of my context living here in the United States where, and I've been down here for a long time, several decades. And it's funny coming from Canada, living in the United States, There, and I made the silliness joke about, sorry, but it's probably emblematic of a cultural value in Canada of like, we kind of, there's kind of a vibe of, we got to find a way to get along. In the United States, and this is a broad stroke statement, but it, it, it does seem like we're more famous for having a lane and committing to it at the cost of another lane, mm-hmm. where it's, all, it's almost like a zero sum game. And I'm curious, as you think about those kinds of reflection points, does any of that motivate you in wanting to write in this? Because I, I hear in your personal story, but I could also see the public benefit in your work with leaders and organizations. Where does the import of this benefit people, especially if they come from a more divisive background like you had? Well, again, you know, we could look at it this culturally. We could even look at it from a, a personality perspective, but people will lean often towards one side or the other. But if you're by nature a problem solver, you want to look at what's right and wrong and choose the right answer, that probably is serving you well in a lot of areas of your life. And the goal is not to let go of that kind of problem solving approach, but it's to recognize that in some ways it's so limiting. You know, and I I don't want to get super political, Dane, but you brought up the idea of even the polarization you know, think of our political spectrum. We try to convince ourselves that one side's right and one side's wrong. And that if I kind of take on anything from the other side, well, I got to give up my side, my values, my beliefs. Well, what if you don't need to exchange your values and beliefs, but you could expand them and actually hold on to what matters and get all the benefits of where you stand by kind of bias or nature or even history, but realize that you can go way beyond that. And it's not a trade-off. It's actually an expansion. And everybody wins from that. The same thing's true. I do a lot of work with leaders and organizations and entrepreneurs that, you know, they often do the, the problem solving thing real well. You know, they can make decisions hundreds of times a day. They can discern what's right from wrong. But once they start to delve into some complexity, situations where it's not that clear, in fact, it's right and right. Things like, how do I embrace change, but also hold on to stability? You know, how do I have high expectations on myself and in my, if I have a a team on my team and equally high levels of grace? You know, how do I focus on the bottom line and really try to be profitable and at the same time be purpose driven? Solve problems when there's solutions, but then go beyond that and recognize, no, I'm also going to hold some of these values in tension. It just takes our leadership to the next level. It takes, you know, in the work that we do, all of a sudden we feel like, wow, we're starting to get unstuck here. Let's talk a little bit more about that unstuckness. I'm curious, as you've been doing this work with 
organizational leaders all over the place, all over the world, and and doing it in the context of you know speaking, but also consulting and coaching and working alongside leaders. Can you give me a couple of examples of when people have made the shift from either or to both and? What are some benefits that they've received? And and let me give you some context for my question. Uh, I'd love to hear the example and the benefits, but the context is most people I talk to. I read your book and I started, I would, it's super inspiring, talked about these ideas. And in those conversations, I've come to realize everyone thinks they're moderates. <laughs> everyone thinks they're both and already. And I want to come back to that later. But for now, can you give us some examples of, of how does it expand? What does that actually look like in the real world? Mm-hmm. I'll give you, a, I'll just give you a couple of quick ones. One is just where I saw it played out. I, I don't even know if you know this, Dane, but years ago, I had a bit of a detour in my professional career. And I actually was part of starting up and leading a homeless shelter for 10 years. So we were a 40-bed facility. We had this small team that was all excited about our core values. And and one of them was fairness. And we framed those words, those values, and we put them on the wall of the building. And we were all about living out these values. Well, that was great, except the, the behavior in our team wasn't really living out those values. You know, we were talking about fairness, but, you know, if I talk to my my managers who man- who generally, you know, manage the, the, the facility, the 40 people living there, the staff, the volunteers, they'd say, well, fairness is consistency. It's all about consistency. There's house rules, no favoritism. Well, that was great until you talk to a coach. And a coach was, you know, the people who worked with our homeless friends one-on-one and they'd say, no, 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 fairness you know, what we would ask of this person, we would never ask of this person based on their experience of trauma or their mental health issues. Fairness isn't that everyone gets the same thing. Fairness is that everybody gets what they need. It's all about individuality. And we were so divided on is fairness individuality or is it consistency until finally we said, folks, what if it's both? And in fact, what if if we choose sides here, we'll never live out those words on the wall of our building They'll only be words. But if we can start to recognize that those values come to life by living in that tension between consistency and individuality, we're going to start to walk our talk. And what happened, Dane, is all of a sudden these divided team members started to recognize we need each other. And we got to a place where we said, if we're not feeling this tension in team meetings, something's wrong because this is the business we're in. It really changed things from thinking we were living in this either or space to say, no, 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 it's both. And I have yet to work with an organization, whether you're starting something up on your own, you're leading a small team, or you're a multinational corporation that doesn't have one or two of those underlying tensions, those conflicting values. They feel it every day, but they often haven't named it. They haven't, you know, got to the place where they've really been able to say, no, this is it. You know, I do a lot of work in organizations that are trying to be more self-managed. So, you know, they're working with agile principles or they're trying to, you know, not be in the same building due to COVID, whatever it may be. And it's all about freedom. You know what, Dane, you're in California. I'm here in Southern Ontario, Canada. We're just going to have freedom to do our piece. Well, here's the thing, Dane. Freedom doesn't work too well until it held in tension with accountability. Freedom on its own, without any kind of accountability, just leads to disconnected parts, chaos, confusion, accountability on its own. If all we are is accountable all the time, it's responsibility, accountability. It feels like we're a, a system, you know, we're, a, we're, it almost feels like we're this regimented, you know, it's all about process and procedure. But once we can be about freedom and accountability, well, now we actually can make this thing work. 
And, you know, I, I have an organization that really has been trying to flatten the organization. And they said, oh, you know what? We made a mistake. We were just saying it was all about freedom. Well, it's actually about freedom and responsibility. And once, once it's those, the both and, this thing's starting to work. You know, they've actually scaled that organization worldwide based on not just giving people freedom, but freedom with responsibility. Amazing. I, I, so inevitably, uh, questions are popping out of what you're saying. So I, I need to ask two kind of little rabbit trail questions. One is, are certain personality types more open to both and than others? And I get the second question that relates is, I'm curious around maturity, because you know, I have way more gray hairs than you do. And I, <laughs> I, I, and I have the chance to work around a lot of folks in their twenties and thirties. And it's interesting to me that even my own kids, like I think about, it just feels like that some of what you're describing is a developmental thing. Like there, it's mm. a growth in maturity and strength and leadership to be able to live in the tensions that you're describing. But I'm, those two questions, one, is this easier for folks who've been at this for a while? And then two, is this easier for certain personality types over others? We'll be right back after this short break. The world of work has changed forever. And at Tell Me Your Dreams, we spend all of our energy trying to help employees love their job. But this is no easy task, especially given the level of responsibility that individuals feel to not only work from home, but to sometimes feel like they're living at work. And as everything has become more complex, you've also heard some conversations I've had consistently with my friend Ty Fujimura at Cantilever. And this is something that I know is core to what you guys do, Ty. You care deeply about your people and you also care deeply about doing great work. Can you talk a little bit about why it is that virtually everyone who works at your company, virtually, I would add, <laughs> they love their job. How is it? How have you navigated remote work in a way where people just love going to work? Most of the working world, as you said, hasn't really adapted yet to the realities of the way that people want to work nowadays. And a lot of that just comes down to the expectations that companies put on people. And those expectations have to be different in a world where remote work is normative and where people's schedules are so complex. We have more going on than ever, especially if you're a parent or you have a side hustle or you're balancing multiple jobs or you're taking care of an aging parent yourself, there's so much for you to handle within your day. At Cantilever, we focus on setting things up so that our people have the maximum amount of flexibility in their schedules. We have a expectation of 35 hours a week as constituting full time. And so we never want to become one of these shops where if you're not spending 50, 60, 70 hours a week at your job, you're not considered valuable because what that does is it incentivizes quantity over quality. It makes people burn out, it makes people leave. We wanna be a place where people wanna stay their whole careers, being able to do their very, very best work because they've been given the tools to perform their job excellently in a constrained amount of time that fits in with the rest of their life. If this sounds attractive to you, friends, and you wanna find out more, especially if this work around strategy and design and really creating hospitality on the internet, if that sounds like your jam, go to cantilever.co forward slash careers and start a conversation. I wonder what could open up for you.
Oh, those are those are great questions. Let me start with the developmental piece because I do believe that when you know I have two young kids, and some of the first things I teach them are very much either or. Things are safe or not safe. Touch this, don't touch that. Go there, don't go there. Then we talk about there's things that are right and wrong. You know, you enter the schooling system, answer the test, things are going to be that check mark that you want to put on the fridge or that X that you don't want to bring home, right? There's right, wrong, good, bad, safe or unsafe. Even, you know, my, my son's in his early teenage years and we're spending a lot of time on values and morals and paths that you can go down. And we talk about the fact that, hey, if you go down the right path, this is what it takes to be a, a good person. And, you know, you don't want to go down this path. So in the earlier years in our lives, there's a space to really develop and, and reward that either or approach. But as you know, and I know, Dane, there's a, even when you're thinking about when you're growing up, all of a sudden we start to recognize that not everything's that easy. Not everything's that black and white. Not that the either or and the good, the bad, the safe, unsafe is wrong, but we got to go beyond that. It's another level of thinking of development. And, you know, sometimes we're raised in a way that, you know, we never really are given the freedom to explore the gray, the both and. Some families of origin, some cultures do it better than others. I, I agree, Dane, that I, I think some personalities lend themselves a little bit more to paradox and, and seeing things from both ends. I don't have research to back that up, but I, I've experienced it just anecdotally and with, with coaching. Mm. But I do know this. I work with leaders around the world. And what I can tell you based on my experience is that most leaders, whether they're leading a small startup on their own or a team across the world, they do the either or thing by nature. You know, they're, they're, they got to their role because they learned to solve problems well. It's almost like the, you know, you know, Dane, as a Canadian, we're bilingual. We're a bilingual country, which means that we speak French and Canadian. It's almost like they just never learned the other language. And as a result, they're so limited and their opportunity, and even I would say their bandwidth as a leader, because there's this whole other language of leadership that they just have never learned. The great thing is, you know, problem solving will probably always be their first language. And I think that's the case for most of us. But wow, you can learn this other language and it allows you to navigate complexity, to bridge relationships that feel polarizing, to actually help others who are convinced that there's no common ground, recognize that wow, we have way more in common than we have apart and divided. It's funny because I, we could spend a long time in the conversation. I think even think politically, folks who are really polarized, let's say in, in the United States context, towards the right politically or to the left politically, it's interesting in actual non-social media, but in real life human conversations, when people create space to really move toward understanding where the mm litmus test of success is that the other person feels heard more than I think I know what they think. It's just shocking to me just how much common ground there is around at least agreement on what the problem is per se, mm -hmm. but maybe they disagree on the solution. And those kinds of examples are so hopeful in a moment where I think people are largely discouraged. So mm -hmm. I, I hear this as, as really helpful. And at the same time, I'm curious, like, I know for myself, I have so many blind spots, right? I have so many places where I, I think I get it, but I don't get it. And mm -hmm. I know you've created a really elegant tool to help people do a little self-discovery. Can you talk a little bit about that assessment? Yeah, it's just a simple assessment, but it's actually aimed to um, help folks like yourself, Dane, that would say, I, I get it, but 
do I? Do, do I really get it? And how much am I living it out? Because I don't think it takes much. I would hope by, you know, this point in the podcast, most people would say, oh, absolutely. There's problems I solve that are right and wrong. And as a leader, there's lots of tensions that I have to navigate and manage. My question to you is, but do you manage them well? Are you able to know the difference and then say, no, 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 this is not an either or, which means I'm still going to make decisions but I'm going to make decisions understanding that they're, it's going to help manage that tension better over time. So I've, I've just got a simple assessment. If you go to leadwithand.com, there's an assessment where you can, based on some real life scenarios, get some insight as to how, how effectively can you identify a tension to manage? And then do you have the skills to manage those tensions well? Can you lead with and? Mm, fantastic. And that assessment is available to anyone. Yeah, yeah. It's just, a, and again, it's just a, a pretty quick check-in assessment, but at leadwithand.com, you'll see the free assessment and that'll give you a great snapshot at your ability to identify and manage these uh, pretty critical ten- tensions that every leader faces. Mm, thank you. Well, okay. So as we as we turn our, our head toward home here, I would just like to talk about the stakes. Like for organizational leaders who who they hear this, they're like, yeah, that's whatever. That's just silly. Like I, I know what's right. I know what's wrong. You know, I'm going to just stay the course. And, and they, they really commit in a rigid way to kind of what we're making the case for, you're making the case for leaving stuff on the table that they could have access mm-hmm. to that would be highly resourceful. If what are, what are the negative stakes for people who stay in that mindset when it comes to leaders? And then on the flip side, as you've seen this in practice real life, in real life, when organizational leaders make the leap and they start opening up to other possibilities, even while holding their grounding to the things that they hold to be true or right, what have been the positive results for those folks? Hmm. That's a great question. I think there's a few layers that we could look at in terms of stakes and also those positives. One is if I if I live my life assuming everything's a problem to solve and I just choose the right side, but in, and I'm dealing with the tension, even though I get my way, I will lose long term, guaranteed. It's it's just like breathing, Dane. We inhale and exhale twenty thousand times a day, and it works pretty well. But if you wake up and say, you know what, I'm just going to inhale today, it doesn't take too long before you're blue in the face. Well, think of any tension. So you know, for me and my small company our kind of underlying tension that we're always trying to manage is change and stability. You know, I want to innovate and change and, and, and try new things. And I want to hold on to what works. I want to have a reputation that people know what to expect. I just happen to lean towards the change side. That's my bias. Well, if I get my way and I can, because I own the company and we just, cha- I, I would honestly, Dane, if I could, I'd probably reinvent ourselves every six months. We'd have a new website every six months. It just would be like inhaling and holding it. It would actually, I do it because it feels good. And I could surround myself with people that would affirm my decisions. We would just fail long-term. So, and, and one thing I would say organizationally is if you aren't able to identify and manage some of these key tensions, you will be plagued with chronic organizational issues. It's those organizational issues that you and I are at a team meeting and someone surfaces something and whether you say it or not, you're like, are we actually talking about this again? Well, the reason you're talking about it is because this is not a problem you're going to solve. If you, though, can say, no, 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 this is not solvable. This is a tension, but we are going to manage this well. 
It goes back to what we opened up with. All of a sudden, you feel like, wow, we're getting unstuck. We actually are feeling momentum. And for most leaders and business owners and entrepreneurs, that's what we crave. I would say on a personal level, Dane, and I'll, I'll say this from my experience, as someone who was born, raised, rewarded, and trained as an either-or thinker, a problem solver, when I started to have the courage to go beyond that, and to accept certain things aren't problems to solve, but tensions to manage. And to even have, you know, the ability to navigate the gray and to, to try to build some common ground as opposed to just pick sides. My life massively changed for the better. You know, I would say that relationships improved. My overall mental health improved. You win on so many levels. It's worth it all the way. This was episode eight, season six of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to cantilever.co and tellmeyourdreams.com. For all our past evergreen episodes with guests like Seth Godin, James Clear, Ann Handley, Ryan Holiday, Jazz Ampafar, Donald Miller, Mike Michalowicz, Sarah Green Carmichael, Brad Montague, Kevin Kelly, Todd Henry, Scott Stratton, Chase Reeves, Gretchen Rubin, Chris Gillibo, Starley Kine, and more, go to convergepodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. See you next time. An Ironic Media Production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.